Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Caliber. This week, we're considering the global equity market through the lens of a contrarian. Is inflation here to stay? What's the impact on dividends and how does human behavior play a part? I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Nick Clay, manager of the elite rated TM Redwheel Global Equity Income Fund. Thanks for joining us today, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, let's start with what's going on today. So, Obviously, you've been in the management industry for more than three decades, so you've actually experienced a world of higher inflation and higher interest rates. Um, do you think that gives you maybe a bit of extra insight at the moment, given what's going on? Um, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> peak inflation was in the 70s, so I wasn't quite, I'm not quite that old. Um, uh, but I guess what that really tells you is how, how long it's been since we've been in an environment of inflation. Um, and I think the lessons that we need to learn from there uh, are twofold. One is that um, back then you got rich slowly. You built your wealth slowly by compounding the dividends. Um, and we've become very used to in this uh, world dominated by QE and zero interest rates of getting rich quick. Uh, and, and I think people will come to realize that we need to return back to a more achievable way of building our wealth through time uh, rather than the way we've become accustomed to. But also, I think what's uh, going to be interesting over the next few years, um, given that inflation looks like uh, it's going to be more persistent than anybody feared at the beginning of the year, is that there are many business models which have been born during this period of low inflation uh, and their whole business models are based upon keeping prices low. They run off low margins, and they're not really able to suffer an increase in their cost base. Um, and, of course, that will crush their margins from already low levels. And I think there's quite a few of those kind of companies in lots of different industries. And it's those where I think the biggest risks uh, will be faced if we do transition to a far more permanent and volatile inflationary backdrop. Is that something that you could spot from a while away, or is that is that something that you you know as as things became stickier with inflation that sort of become more apparent? It's become more apparent, quite frankly, rather short term. Um, you know, even I was saying at the beginning of the year that inflation was more likely to be transitory. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, Russia's invader, invasion of the Ukraine, and more importantly, the, the sanctions imposed on Russia, which I think it's fair to say will probably last longer than even the war, um, make inflation a bit more sticky. Uh, and of course, what the 70s particularly taught us is that the longer inflation remains elevated, the, the greater the chances that it gets baked into expectations and then starts to filter into other stuff like wages, et cetera. And then that's when it becomes more stubborn and more problematic. So I would say it's more really since the start of this year, but already we've been starting to see evidence of that coming through uh, You know, from the results last time around, where Target, for example, which is a discount a uh, wholesaler of uh, general merchandise, um, you know, works off 8% margins and within four weeks told us those margins are going to be two. Uh, because as they said in their first profit warning, you know, we do not want to put our prices up to our consumer. That is their whole uh, modus operandum as a business. Uh, and therefore it means they have to, to take a lot of the pain on the cost themselves. And of course, they're not really in a starting position to be able to suffer that. I mean, even if inflation halved from here, we're still in a completely different world to what we've seen before that, aren't we? Exactly right. Uh, and we're still comfortably above the 2% target that all the central bankers uh, seem to still be sticking to. And so that means that the pressure is up for interest rates uh, and the pressure will remain for wage inflation. You were quoted at a conference recently that markets tend to assume the current regime, whatever that regime may be, and then it's just going to go on forever. 
What do you mean by this and how does that influence investments? Yeah, certainly. I mean, one of the features of bear markets particularly, um, uh, but it has been a feature of the market for a, a few years now uh, since the pandemic, which is to take the now, whatever is happening now, and extrapolate it forever into the future. So obviously during the pandemic, it was we were all going to sit on the back of Pelotons, uh, streaming our Netflix whilst doing Zoom calls. And of course, that proved not to be the case. Uh, whereas right now, uh, everyone's particularly obsessed about the recession that's coming, particularly obsessed about China and their role in lockdowns and the sanctions being posed upon uh, Russian oligarchs and the, and, and the impact that that has on certain sectors particularly in the luxury retail sector. And, and, of course, the market being very short term extrapolates that dynamic as if it's going to be the dynamic forever. Um, and what gives us the advantage of that, uh, and most active investors, quite frankly, is that you can harness that time to your advantage, i.e. you think over a longer term, you're investing over a longer term. And the market, particularly in bear markets, obsesses about the short term. So you use that opportunity you're being presented where the market gets very scared about what's happening now to your advantage and be able to pick up uh, investments which are being overly discounted for either too bearish a scenario or the length of time that bearish scenario lasts. And that is your valuation opportunity into companies which, as long as they're strong and they're good and they can suffer uh, and they can cope with the short-term pain, will present you with really good opportunities to invest in them. We, we, we talked about inflation and the fact markets are sort of short term. Could you, could you maybe give us your outlook on the market? I mean, are you positive at the moment and, and maybe explain why? Um, I'm probably a little bit more positive about certain areas of the market uh, and, and less so about others. So uh, the areas that I'm positive about are those companies which have been treated as hyper cyclical uh, and therefore when the market's obsessing about the size and depth of the recession that was coming, uh, marking them as if we're almost going into another pandemic-like backdrop, which I think is too extreme. So likes of fast fashion in Intertex, the likes of the luxury retail companies, the likes of semiconductors. But other areas of the market, like mega tech, big tech, Microsoft, uh, Apples, et cetera, I think they are still uh, looking too expensive. And, you know, we are going to go into a global slowdown. Uh, we're most likely going to go into a recession of some sort. Um, and yet they seem to remain priced as if everything is going to trundle along quite nicely, despite the fact that almost every one of their customers is treated as if they're cyclical and we're going into a down cycle. So there's a sort of disconnect there in the market. So I think the megatech area of the market has still got quite a bit of pain to come uh, and other areas of the market which have been treated as very cyclical and yet their companies are able to suffer that uh, are the opportunity today. Okay. You've also said that dividends could be the solution for investors while, while sort of central banks are in a bit of a conundrum with markets. Could you maybe explain that and go into a bit more detail? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, that comes back to this uh, growing your wealth slowly rather than trying to get rich quick, um, which is that, you know, over time, over almost any time frame, apart from this last sort of 15 years of QE, uh, the compounding of your dividend has been the largest driver of your total return. Um, and I think as we now move away from QE and zero interest rate policy because of inflation, uh, you are going to find that the compounding of your dividend income is going to be the largest driver of your total return going forward and not the capital gain. And so I think that that's going to hold you in good stead if you focus upon that in the way you generate total returns for your clients. 
But the other thing, though, uh, which people are now being reminded about is that when you go back to inflationary periods, uh, dividends can be grown by their companies. Uh, and actually, MSCI World Dividend Growth keeps pace very well with US CPI, i.e. you can increase the dividends to compensate you for inflation. Now, obviously, you need to be in companies that can raise their prices. Obviously, you need to be in companies that then increase their dividends. And not all of them can do that. But if you can find the right ones, then you're able to compensate yourself for the inflationary backdrop uh, and generate decent uh, real returns uh, in that environment, which, again, we think is going to be uh, quite apt and quite appropriate for the environment we find ourselves in. In, in terms of the dividend sort of bucket that you've got, you've got Nick, at the moment, are you finding quite a lot of opportunities sort of attractively priced? Are they in certain specific areas? Maybe just give us a quick idea on the landscape of that. Yeah, there's certainly the way the market has behaved over the last few months has certainly started to introduce some stocks into our buckets, um, uh, which are uh, particularly in the retail area, some of that, um, as we said, the semis area, but also in things like insurance, et cetera. Um, uh, companies which are, are certainly able to suffer this environment. I think one of the most obvious ones that's in the portfolio at the moment is Intertex. Mm-hmm. Intertex is barely off the price it was in March 2020. And in March 2020, we were going into the uh, the global pandemic. Every single one of Intertex's stores were closed. Uh, and online was only about 10% of its business. It barely got going. Uh, where now, online is 35% of its business, and most of its stores are open. And yet it's on the same price. It's as if the recession we're going to go into is going to be as bad as the pandemic, which I think is somewhat extreme. Um, and so that's where I think the opportunities are being presented to us at the moment, whereas the more traditional areas you'd find income in, Things like healthcare, things like utilities, things like consumer staples—they're all getting a bit expensive at the moment. Okay. Um, one of the sort of uh, notions behind the philosophy of the fund is the idea that you you buy the controversy and, and sell the consensus. I mean, there's a lot of controversy and there's a lot of people with consensus views out there. Could you maybe give us an example of this, please, and, and how that works? Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, a really good example of that at the moment we say tapestry, which mm-hmm. is uh, Coach and Kate Spade handbags. So a luxury good retailer, aspirational band. Um, and of course, everybody is obsessed with the fact that you know, we put sanctions on what, 40 oligarchs and their sort of 400 surrounding families uh, as if they were the only people who, who buy coach and Kate Spade handbags. And then, of course, the close down in China as if that's a permanent feature. Uh, and therefore, again, the Chinese are never going to go out and buy any handbags ever again. Uh, and of course, we feel that that's rather short term in our view. Uh, and isn't something that is going to be sustainable over the long term. And yet, Tapestry is on a market cap of around $8 billion, uh, and it's returning up to 15 to 20% of its market cap back to shareholders every year. Uh, and basically, what that's saying from the market is the Tapestry or Coach is going to go bust within about five years. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think it's a very low probability. Um, and therefore, your risk rewards very much skewed to the upside and it's marred in controversy at the moment. But of course, when you know, everyone will tell us that's stupid because look, China's going into another lockdown, who else would buy a handbag retailer going into that environment? Equally, the consensus view is um, uh, some of our technology stocks did get very expensive uh, towards the beginning of this year. So Infosys uh, in India was trading on a uh, three percent free cash flow yield. Uh, I mean, that is demanding an awful lot of that stock. Uh, and it has been interesting that even though it's continued to deliver very good results uh, over the course of this year and very strong growth, uh, it has still underperformed. Um, and it's something that we we halved our position in the portfolio and emphasis earlier this year 
and it's now derated back to a 4% free cash flow yield, uh, so far more reasonably valued to today. But again, that's the point, is at a point when expectations are really great, consensus view of these stocks has become everyone's in love with them. Uh, that's when they actually turn out to be some of the riskiest stocks out there, because even if they deliver on those amazing results, that's still not enough to justify the valuations they're on, and that's when you need to be very careful. Okay, and just to build off the uh, the by the controversy, sell the consensus um, philosophy. Obviously, that feeds into contrarian approach, and and you look at a number of different buckets to sort of feed into those ideas for that approach. Could you could you maybe take each one of them in turn and explain them to us, please? Yeah, very quickly. So uh, there are five buckets. Uh, this process over the fifteen years has has kind of taught us that these five repeating areas the market presents to us with regards to controversies. Uh, the first two are high ROIC companies, companies that generate really good and high returns. They have great balance sheets. The first one, the trouble compounding machines, are ones where those growth companies hit a speed bump for some reason. A really good example of that was Pepsi, for example, back in uh, 2018 when the sugar tax came along and everyone got really worried about the impact on soft drinks, even though soft drinks are only 9% of Pepsi. So it offers you an opportunity to buy into those great companies when something very short term uh, has sort of locked them off their course. Uh, and, and then the second one, the, the cash generating machines, is the ones which have gone X growth. So they're not growing like bucket one, but now they're being priced as if they're going bust. And actually, the reality is that their businesses are far more resilient and stable. And Cisco Systems in the portfolio today is a great example of that. Both of those uh, first two buckets make up about two thirds of the portfolio through time. Uh, hence the sort of quality, the reasonable yield that you get from this strategy. The, the final three buckets are profit transformation, which is uh, you want to buy at the bottom of the cycle. You're hoping for something to mean revert, whether it be within the company or within its own uh, industry cycle or economic cycle. Uh, and then you've got capital intense buckets. They are companies that make much lower returns, far more boring, quite frankly. Um, but if you can get the ones which are make consistent returns above their cost of their capital, then you're still going to make decent returns. So utility companies, et cetera. But the market just gets bored of these ones, when particularly when the backdrop's all about sex and violence growth. Uh, and then the final one, which is uh, by definition a rare, is special situations, uh, which is things like spin-outs out of companies, uh, hidden pension assets, litigation impacting on companies, a buyer uh, which had litigation on its Monsanto crops business recently presented us a good opportunity to buy into a good business. The point about all of those buckets and those controversies is every time we've got to try and work out whether those controversies are temporary and the opportunity or permanent uh, and therefore the trap. Uh, and I guess the challenge over the last few years particularly has been that disruption and controversies are becoming more permanent than they would have been, say, 20, 25 years ago. So you have to be ever more careful today, I think, to try and get the right ones. And with a view with those permanent controversies, I'm going to leave sort of give you the open floor here in terms of whether it's one of those buckets, a certain country or region or a style. I mean, where, where would you say you're finding those best ideas today? And maybe give us a couple of examples of that. So in the um, in bucket one, so there's trouble compounding machines. Uh, it's a strange bucket at the moment because about half of the stocks in that bucket are looking expensive. Uh, mm. So your staple stocks, which have all done very well this year for obvious reasons, things like your P and Gs and your Pepsis and uh, Diageos. You know, we all uh, have to clean our teeth and, and put our deodorant on and wash our hair, etc. So 
not only does your underlying demand remain very stable, but they also have pricing power. They can put the price up and people still need to buy this stuff. They're very well uh, positioned to be able to cope with this kind of backdrop. Um, but of course, the market now knows that uh, and it's starting to get, make them fairly expensive. Uh, and quite frankly, if this trend continues over the summer, uh, then our disciplines in our portfolio will start to kick in, which is the sell discipline. We have to sell everything that yields less than the market. They will start to kick in on some of these stocks uh, as we will come out of the summer if things continue as they are. Whereas equally, the other half of that bucket um, is these luxury retail companies, uh, which again, uh, history shows you have incredibly strong and um, resilient returns. Not unsurprisingly, given the nature of the things they sell, so we have things like uh, Richemont, which is Cartier jewellery, Keering, which is uh, Gucci. Uh, by the nature of the things they sell, they're very high priced, um, and therefore they have a lot of scope to push through pricing. In fact, mm -hmm. if anything, the nature of these goods is the more they put the price up, for some reason people, more people want them. They're like the classic gift and good that's out there. Um, uh, and yet... As we spoke about earlier in this podcast, uh, they're being treated as if the, uh, the backdrop of sanctions and China is going to last forever and holding these stocks back, treating them as cyclical companies, uh, whereas history will tell you they're not cyclical companies by any stretch of the imagination. They're incredibly robust, not unsurprisingly. The wealthy uh, in the world tend to ride through uh, economic slowdowns very well. And then the thing we get quite excited about is that there is this sort of more thematic backdrop of a rebalancing of equality across society uh, and the growth in the more middle classes and the aspirational areas and, of course, wage inflation across the whole of the uh, workforce piece is actually very supportive of these stocks um, and the growth in the middle classes in Asia, et cetera. So structurally, you've got a great tailwind. Uh, we think they're being treated as highly cyclical, and yet all the history will tell you that that's not the case. So even within one bucket, you can get quite a bit of divergence. And just lastly, I just wanted to touch because you mentioned discipline in your, your last answer there. Um, how how important is it to sort of keep your discipline in, in times like this, where sort of things are changing so quickly and opportunities are appearing so quickly and perhaps disappearing quickly as well? Maybe just give us a quick couple of sort of minute or two on that, if possible. Yeah, of course, it's vital. Um, uh, and the reason why it's vital to have objective disciplines imposed upon you is because as human beings, we're very weak and fallible, uh, just as we are on our team. Uh, and when you fall in love with things very easily, you get scared and very fearful of things at the wrong time. Uh, and you need a discipline to try and encourage you to do the right thing at the right time, whether it's buy or sell. Uh, and invariably, when you're doing those things, it feels uncomfortable at the time you're doing it buying those things when things are going horribly wrong, selling things when everybody loves it. They are difficult things to do. And so as human beings, I think we need those disciplines. And in times of volatility uh, and extreme environments for markets, which we've been in for the last few years now, uh, those disciplines are ever more important than they've ever been. That's great, Nick. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Chris. Good to speak to you. As Nick explained, TM Red Wheel Global Equity Income Fund uses the buy the controversy and sell the consensus philosophy in this portfolio. It also gives the fund a true contrarian nature backed up by a logical and disciplined philosophy. This leads to an attractively yielding income fund that also allows for capital return from a concentrated portfolio. To learn more about the TM Red Wheel Global Equity Income Fund, visit our website, fundcaliber.com, and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.
Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. 